didn't see it coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. You can't have lived in North America for the past few weeks without having all your attention focused on the two political conventions that just happened, the Republican National Convention and the Democratic National Convention. Now, although this is a political scenario, it has everything to do with brands. Uh, This show is all about building future-proof brands, and I have my own perspective on which of the two brands is more future-proof. I believe that the Democratic brand is much more expansive. It's all about collaboration and co-design and moving forward together, and that makes it a more robust powerful brand moving forward. The the Republican brand that we've seen in the last couple of weeks is a lot more, well, I think it's been focused more on one person. And this person says, I alone can do this. Donald Trump is all about, I am the person who can save you. I have the vision. I'm the I, I, I. And this... Um, by being more exclusive and excluding other people from the decision-making process is a much more restrictive brand, and there's a lot less opportunity to make it exciting. However, Donald Trump is a wild card. Bernie Sanders is a wild card. These are people who have come from the outside, and I think that they're actually going to be smashing the old conventional brands, the Republican brand, the Democratic brand. And so to explore this, I want to go outside of brand thinking and go into frame thinking, how people frame themselves, how other people frame you, how they, how they picture you. And so I'm bringing aboard my old friend, behavioral scientist, John Marshall Roberts. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mark. Um, you, uh, you and I first got to know each other because you created this terrific book called Igniting Inspiration, which is all about the worldviews uh, that we are going to be exploring today. And we're going to go through a synopsis so folks who haven't read the book will, will be able to get up to speed quickly. And you're also bringing out a new book, which dimensionalizes that even further, takes it much, much further, called The Voice Code. So we'll be talking about that a little bit later. But first, let's get to Igniting Inspiration and the worldviews that pertain to the Republicans and the Democrats. Give me a 30-second synopsis of the worldviews of the Republicans and of the Democrats so we can get started. Okay, great. First, it might be smart to just just make it clear what a worldview is. That term gets thrown around. We use it in a very specific way. A worldview is a specific way of thinking and framing the world, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's a way of looking at the world. So there is no one objective uh, way of of, of looking at the world, there's actually a process we found that uh, of thinking evolving over time in specific ways with specific values, with specific metaphors that we use to frame events. So if you put a bunch of people in the room and ask them to describe something, their worldview is going to determine uh, how they look at that thing. So it's a very deep set of drivers that govern how we look at the world and the choices that we make day to day. Our research has shown with uh, quite convincingly uh, that there are four primary worldviews that are really governing our whole developed world, and especially they're especially clear when we look at the political discourse uh, in the U.S. We've got four of them. The first, well, the first two uh, would be what we call, you know, the conservative or or Republican um, party. Uh, one is called the believer. The believer looks at life like it's a test that you either pass or fail. They value discipline, uh, authority, external authorities, right, and purpose, right? So they're a black and white sort of thinker who's always about sacrificing now 
for a future reward. It's sort of the old school uh, mindset that was very uh, dominant in the 1950s in the U.S. Um, they're, they're, they evolve over time into what we call the achiever. The achiever looks at life like a game that you either win or lose. Uh, their core values are authority, uh, I'm sorry, power, success, and affluence. Authority was the believers. It's power, success, and affluence. And their mantra in life is kind of, you know, express myself to get what I want, but don't get into any trouble, okay? So between those two worldviews, we have Achiever being the, what we call the Republican, you know, fiscal conservative, probably more, right? The businessman archetype. Right. And then the Republican base, the really ideological, inflamed, polarized base of the, of the last few years, uh, that would be the believer, right? And they right. work together to form what we call the Republican Party. Um, the Democrat has two mirroring worldviews that are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, eventually, the Achiever, let's just use stereotypes here, has a midlife crisis, looks inward, right, and becomes what we call the explorer. The explorer looks at life like we're all a big family, right? We are one big family. We should all get along. The values are empathy, relatedness, inequality, right? right. What did I describe? But what we call the democratic base, mm -hmm. right? Who often gets into polemical discourses with the Republican base, the believers. Right. They're both very ideological, but now the liberal base is coming from an egalitarian stance, right? right. Also look at events like the 99% movement. Remember when you had the 99% camped out of Wall Street? Yeah. What do you got there? You got the explorers camping outside the achievers' headquarters of the U.S., right? Yeah. And, of course, remember, this is all a developmental process. So uh, achiever explorers are now feeling guilty for their own achiever selfishness. So they've got to go attack the uh, Wall Street people, say, hey, it's not me, it's them. They did it. Right, right. <laughs> so, um, now, one more, right? The explorer eventually says, okay, yeah, I got the right idea, but maybe, you know, I want to be a little more practical in the everyday world. They eventually soften a bit and expand into what we call the Pathfinder. Um, the Pathfinder looks at life like a system, and all systems are interconnected, right? They value integrity, sustainability, and competence. So now you have this worldview which has a lot of the values that what you might call the progressive Democrat. And so then you get, right, the Democratic Party, which is composed of the explorers and uh, the pathfinders, and they're pitting themselves against the achievers and the believers. And this is a pretty stable structure that has governed all politics in my life. Uh, when you look at it through this lens, everything starts to make sense. Now, it's, it's interesting because uh, I want to turn to the Democrats first. What I saw in, uh, in Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders, you know, there was, there was a bitter battle, and, and Sanders, the outsider, was calling her to the mat saying that you're just one of the, um, you're just one of the achievers, just painting yourself in different colors, maybe a bit of an explorer. But when Sanders got together, when his camp got together with the Clinton campaign and they worked at the convention, what they managed to do is unprecedented. They pulled the Clinton campaign much, much further to the left. So in effect, Hillary Clinton became one of these pathfinders. I saw her much more as an achiever, somebody who was sort of, uh, you know, uh, I'm all about the big power. I have a tinge of the explorer. I do want to do humanistic stuff. But she was tainted with this whole idea of being big business. And what Bernie Sanders did in the convention was create a whole bunch of platforms for her campaign to, to represent 
that then pulled her entire sort of uh, worldview or the the democratic leadership worldview much more into the pathfinder path. Yes, it's still about money. Money makes the world go round. But we have to be much harder core about supporting the people who don't have, who are misrepresented, who don't have the power and, and, and are struggling. We, these are separate, seem like separate types of people, and very much people can line up in these. I think it's easy for people to see, for example, Donald Trump and the, the achiever that I described, mm-hmm. right? That's not hard to see. But also get that these worldviews exist within us. Um, and we struggle often on the evolutionary path when we get stuck uh, in the sandpit of a given worldview. So for a lot of people in the liberal base, they're still stuck and angry at the believer worldview, have a lot of upset with organized religion and people who think that way. That becomes a problem for them. Uh, Hillary Clinton in particular, I think, has gotten stuck in the explorer worldview. Like, she's smart, has that achiever energy, really prefers a pathfinder mindset, but realizes that she has to relate to people in order to win a coalition. And honestly, it hasn't been natural for her. She hasn't been the person who can really stand up there and represent, like, have people really feel, ooh, this person is part of my tribe. It's always felt like she's kind of out for herself, which is sort of a relic, like you might call it a shadow of some of her achiever days, right. which, of course, in you know, in not Hollywood, uh, they call DC Hollywood ugly people. Uh, <laughs> um, and in DC, a lot of times, you know, you you get uh, you, you get beat up like that. And you kind of it's a Darwinistic town, and so you can see those scars showing up. So that when she tries to be, you know, we are one, nobody really buys it. Yeah. Here's where Barry Sanders would provide a complementary energy that is probably you know help give her cover to sort of open and flower a little bit more in that area, um, right? In a convention, you know. So this brings in the beauty, the beauty of tribes and and teams is that we bring in these energies that can hopefully help heal people in some ways. But but Bernie. Sanders did a fantastic job of standing unequivocally for that explorer uh, mindset, you know, equality, yes. oneness. He did it without seeming woo-woo or yeah. sanctimonious by most people's standards. He has a bit of a grizzled warrior energy to him, and that uh, really ignites people's passions, right? And so that kind of gave her cover, and in a sense was his leadership, I think, maybe to expand the sphere where she can now inhabit that quadrant, if you will, without seeming as woo-woo or flaky. Like, he demonstrated a new way of doing it, if you will, right. and got the people excited. So in a sense, you know, we're all a moving target according to this system. I mean, understand these are just four worldviews out of 12. There's still four more coming, and uh, we're all just little babies really learning to walk if you look at life through the lens of the spectrum of consciousness that we've mapped with the voice code and these, right. you know, these worldviews. But you do, it is beautiful to watch people grow and evolve and flower in into their, you know, fullness as they overcome resistance to different worldview types, Um, and I think we're all engaged in that process. That's what the political discourse, in my opinion, is. It's giving us all a chance to revisit and, in a sense, forgive. Yeah. Um, a lot of uh, the judgments that we've put out there towards people. Now, uh, talking about uh, Darwinism, you've got the Sandernistas, the, the, the people, the Bernie or Bust people, and a lot of them were jeering and booing at the conference and, and vowing that they wouldn't vote, and you had Sarah Silverman going up there saying, you're being ridiculous if you don't vote for Hillary Clinton because we've worked inside the platform and we've moved the Democratic platform to the left where Bernie lives and where we all live, and still some people weren't believing is there is there an element of Darwinism in worldviews? Will some people remain stuck in their worldview and not be able to evolve? So, for example, the hardcore 
explorers or humanists, are there is there a risk that they will get stuck in there and and just sort of become a Darwinian dead end as as their friends and colleagues move on to become pathfinders? What is it? Uh, not permanently stuck unless they're really stubborn. You, life has a way, as I understand it, what I call our voice, our inner instinctual knowing that kind of guides this process through mm-hmm. these 12 stages, it's always nudging us along, and it's connected to the voices of everyone else and to nature and the events that happen. So what happens is we can try to entrench ourselves in an ideology, and we can certainly make it appear in a conversation like we know everything and like we'll never change. But life has a funny way of, of pushing us until the pain of not changing outweighs the pain of change. And part of that change is when someone around us progresses. When someone around us progresses, the, the, you know, let's talk about an, an intimate relationship, maybe a marriage or something, uh, but, you know, it pulls us then to change our dance. It disrupts our, our natural flow. So our first uh, response is often to retrench, to double down on the beliefs of the past, but eventually that doesn't work, and then you'll find that people who are the most polarized and absolutistic in their doubling down on their beliefs are the ones who flip 180 a year later as if it never happened. And by the way, what we've just described, what I believe is going on with the Republican Party. I think we talk about Donald Trump. He's uh, he's really giving people uh, who want to double down on individualism, on achiever, the achiever mindset, and on the sort of polarizing aspect of the believer mindset, he's giving them some red meat to really clamp down to and hopefully, you know, dismiss, completely dismiss the emerging worldviews uh, that the Democrats are representing. Um, and, you know, and they're loving it, but ultimately it polarizes and does a 180. You know, it's, it's a futile rebellion uh, that doesn't last. But that's part, but get that that rebellion is part of the evolutionary process. You know, like we have to say, just before we say goodbye to our old, our old beliefs, we have to, you know, we go back to them and make love them for a little while longer. You well, know what I mean? It's, it's like breaking up in a relationship. There's, um, there's, I don't know who, who, who had this great quote, but they said change happens in, in three stages. Once you, uh, first you, you encounter resistance. Second, you encounter violent resistance. And then you get hearty approval. So you have people who say, no, I'm not going to change. Thank you very much. Then you say, no, screw you. We're not going to change. We're going back. And that's what I believe we're seeing right now in the Republican Party and Donald Trump. And then it just folds and they go, oh, my goodness, why didn't we do this a long time ago? You know, and it's, it's almost comic that, that you know, human animals are, are a fairly predictably funny animal uh, in, in the way that we adapt to change. Uh, now, I want to go to Donald Trump because to me he's, he's just fascinating what he's doing or undoing with this party. Uh, you paint him as, as a, an achiever and sort of the, the last vestige of holding on to the old way before this all collapses and they decide to progress forward. However, he's also, from what I've heard from very many people, and I believe, uh, a fairly dangerous individual in that he's a demagogue and he'll say whatever is convenient to win votes. And there is nothing except raw achievement inside of him. He'll do whatever it takes to win at the game. Uh, paint me a picture of Donald Trump. Uh, yeah, he's, he's actually... You know, I I don't hate Donald Trump. I think he's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, he's and and again, I, I I think he's a lot smarter than a lot of people on the left give him credit for. Mm-hmm. I believe that he doesn't scare me as much as like I actually don't think he really hates Mexicans, Muslims, gays, and all. You know, he, he's very. I think he's a very strategically brilliant guy who knows his audience and plays to them, and I think he has a particular ability to scramble brains by standing for conviction for whatever strategy he's picked out. You know, um, I, I think he lacks character, 
um, to really be concerned with what he comes out of his mouth is true to what he feels in his innermost self. So, yes, I think he's on a very um, self-oriented agenda. I think if he were to get into the White House, which I currently doubt, although some people like Nate Silver uh, believe that's possible. If I look at worldviews, I don't think uh, right now it's possible, but I guess we'll see. Either way, I would be interested to see how he'd behave. He's kind of a wild card because, yeah, he wants to win the game, but were he to get into the White House, the nature of the game changes. I think then it becomes about him wanting to establish a legacy. He's so vain, I think, hmm. that I don't think he'd want to uh, screw it all up and make himself look bad forever. So it might be interesting to see what how he shifts course to win at that game, which would require uh, him meeting a different set of metrics. I don't think he's going to do – I mean, I think that he's he's not used to answering to a coalition. He's a, he's a bit of a lone warrior. He doesn't want to show his tax records and all this other stuff. So I have a hard time imagining how he'd be in that role of the executive branch. Right. But right. Um, I think Donald Trump is a lot smarter than a lot of people left him credit for. I don't think he truly believes half – or even less than half of what comes out of his mouth. I think he's a radical pragmatist. I actually think that he's got a lot of the pathfinder intellectuality. So if you look at the four worldviews as four quadrants, right, right. and a whole mind would be able to inhabit all four worldviews given any situation. You know, we'd want to be able to uh, draw from the explorer camp for our humanistic open-heartedness when that's necessary. We want to be able to be achiever at the same time so that we don't become a victim of our altruism. We want to be a pathfinder to find solutions to work for everybody, but we want to know what's right with our believer side, you know, just discern right and wrong. You see, if we think of it that way, and a great leader would inhabit all four quadrants, mm -hmm. when we look at Donald Trump, what we find is that I think he can inhabit three of the four, but he just has a deep, dark blind spot when it comes to humanism, right? right. When it comes to that quadrant of really just being open-hearted and, and loving other people and being vulnerable, you might say, at that level. So I think that would come back to haunt him, but I guess as a president, that would probably be his evolutionary lesson. And you can rest assured that if he were to win, all the, that would be really good for worldview thinking's business model, I tell you, <laughs> because <all, laughs> it would be a real wake-up call for people on the left to get their crap together, you know what I mean, and right. to step up and start taking the inner game uh, a little more seriously. Now, John, I, I, this is this is where I want to get into something interesting, where Donald Trump overlaps traditional brand thinking. Traditional big brands are, I believe, a bit like Donald Trump, in that they say, we are going to tell you whatever you want to hear, that you will make you taller, we'll make you better looking, we'll make you more attractive, uh, until you buy our product. And then we run away from you. You're on your own. Once you open that can of soda pop, um, boom, you know, all bets are off. And what I see in uh, sort of the New World brands, the Patagonias of the world, the Chipotles of the world, is that they have a much stronger sort of moral foundation, ethical foundation. And they say, you know what, we are, we're more than skin deep. We're not superficial. Take a look. Our founders have believed this mantra of making better things for the world, making better things for healthier people. They, that's what they live. So we're more than just a pretty face. And um, I see these brands succeeding a lot. You know, you look at uh, Freya Williams' book. Uh, a friend of mine just wrote a book. I interviewed her on this podcast called... Uh, 
Green giants, how green companies are, are becoming the next wave of hyper-successful companies because people want companies and brands with ethics and, and uh, a deeper sense of personality. Now, do you think that, that Donald Trump uh, can get that deeper sense of personality because I've heard a lot of people say that he's patently unable to, that his, his character flaw will prevent him from ever being somebody who is just opportunistic and a demagogue. Do you think that he can grow something like that? Grow ethics? Grow mission? It's a great question. And I mean, I, I'd say yes. I actually think he's capable of it. I actually, more and more, it's like I'm just fascinated in this election. It's the first election in a long time where I really am not playing one side of, of the fence, although I, I tend to lean towards a progressive end. But I look at it all as a process, a social evolution, you know, um, and the state, we're engaged in a process together, and Donald Trump is too. And, you know, I could totally see a guy like him being put in there and being pulled uh, to awaken in some ways to a deeper level of character. I could totally see that. I'm not necessarily rooting for that outcome. Mm-hmm. But who am I to say that he lacks that? You know, it, it take, I'm impressed with his ability to rise to the, the top of the ranks and, and, and take over this party that doesn't even like him. Um, I think that he lacks integrity deeply, and that concerns me. You know, I'm a big yeah. Obama fan. I, I didn't really like the whole birth certificate thing. I mean, I, it really – a lot of that – me, but I'm just saying, who am I to say that he couldn't evolve? Um, I think that it could happen, could happen, that he gets in and then his, his evolution becomes like the vicarious transformation of our country into yeah. a more, you know, into our center of gravity finally firming and shifting to that, uh, that, 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 that camp, uh, that quadrant that I call the explorers. Understand one thing, you know, I don't want to over-geek out here, but uh, interesting stuff when you get that when we crack the voice code, we crack the code on an eight-stage model by a guy named Dr. Claire W. Graves. And what we found is that there were actually 12 stages in the entire evolution of human thinking from the womb to what, you know, to people like uh, Jesus and Buddha and, and these high, higher level people. Where we're looking here, this pivot point between what we're calling Donald Trump, uh, the, the, what we're calling the achiever that he's camping in right. primarily, and then, you know, we look at Bernie Sanders would be strong on the explorer. That pivot point is the shift between what I call phase one, stages one through six, mm-hmm. and then phase two, which is stages seven through 12. And this is nothing short of a quantum mental operating systems upgrade that we have to go through. Any man, person, or society uh, has to go through in order to shift. It's not a small shift. It's a shift from an outside-in mindset to an inside-out mindset. And, you know, when there's the old Shakespeare uh, saying, methinks he doth protest too much. When I see someone like Donald Trump or anyone who's so uh, rabidly, you know, polemical, right, so rabidly in favor of certain beliefs, usually that's a sign to me that I know they have doubts. Because when you really know something, you don't need to shout. So uh, basically, I do think that Donald Trump, whether he loses or wins the election, is in the process of being basically rubber band, you know, going to get slingshot into that explorer energy quadrant, whether it's through the failure of knowing he'll never be president or whether it's through the stresses of the presidency. Uh, I don't want him to learn on the job. That's, I think that's I think that's what most people are afraid of. They 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 you know I'm in the same camp as you. I believe that people through hard and bitter experience, you know, he let's say he wins, and he gets thrown into this 
shark tank of Washington that is very different from the, the campaign trail where you can say anything and it'll bounce off you if you want it to, as we've seen. Suddenly there's a whole bunch of people, uh, House of Cards-like, who are conspiring against you, and you have to learn how to move these chess pieces and really think, and it beats you up. So maybe, you know, like a classic movie, he grows into a new person, but I think a lot of people are terrified of the idea of him learning on the job. You know, now I want to I want to shift gears here for one second. Yeah, um, you talked about something that I think could be a mantra for the new evolving brand, which is outside in thinking versus inside out thinking. As our last sort of point before we sign off, dig into that for a second. What is outside in thinking? What is inside out thinking? Okay, great. Yeah, and again, this is, as I understand it, the new economy that's emerging to be brands like you quote, like Patagonia. Yeah. And honestly, uh, you know, Obama's first election was a good example of an inside-out. It's an inside-out mindset. And, you know, this is what happens in that shift from what I call phase one, which is survival-based thinking, in terms of, like, Maslow's hierarchy it would be satisfying everything up before self-actualization and right. through self-esteem, right, the lower order needs. It's outside in. And when we're born, we're born that, you know, you have to please the authorities and follow the rules uh, in order to survive, basically. Right. And even people at these highest levels who've already conquered basic material survival needs, still a lot of them get caught up. Um, still trying to find happiness by satisfying external needs. So, you know, if I make enough money, if I get a bigger plane, if I uh, find a pretty enough wife or husband, or if I get six-pack abs, then I'll be happy. That's just like the brand that says, you know, if you buy me, you will be happy. If you buy me, you will be taller, better looking. That's, that's outside in thinking. That's the way old brands used to think. Right, and that runs its course right about what we call achiever. People either, you know, get enough to realize that they're not happy and they were had, or they give up on the idea of ever, you know, being in that 1% elite that they were striving for. They just or meet somebody who's in that and, and is miserable, but they just, they realize that, that it's not, it doesn't work. Right. And they go into a dark night of the soul, usually, and they shift over. I think of it as a mountain. They climb to the top of that mountain, and then they cross over the peak and start going uh, down the mountain on what I call phase two, which is now realizing, hey, they move the cheese from outside to inside. So instead of finding that so I can be happy, I want to be happy and then attract and, and create the life that I want on my own terms. So instead of trying to find happiness according to rules written by others, you know, 2.5 kids in a house and this, that, you know, in this car and this, these looks, right? Um, it's now more about what really floats my boat um, and makes me happy. And as people honestly ask that question, they realize what makes them happy is being connected uh, to others. Uh, they realize that sharing their unique passions and gifts with others and making a contribution in so doing is the thing that really makes them happy. And so they, set, they take it upon themselves to master the process of listening to discern correctly their inner guidance. As we uh, frame it in my new book, The Voice Code, Master the Inner Game, right, we, there's basically two inner guides. One is what I call the shadow, which is associated with old tapes in our mind that are associated with beliefs programmed into us during phase one, climbing up the hill. And then we have what we call our voice, which is really our being. It's a knowingness at the core of our being, and it's timeless. It's that part of us that never changes. Phase two is all about unlearning beliefs 
so that we can know our true voice and learning how then to be in the world making uh, not about me necessarily, but about contributing my gifts to, to others. So that's where you get into the whole liberal conversation, which, yeah. by the way, has its own pitfalls. This is these are six six stages on phase two, and the liberal party, as I understand it, hasn't left phase you know step two of that process. Right. Um, you know, and it's quite an interesting ride. But it's all about mastering the inner, so that we can bring our gifts to the outer, and then uh, inner and outer become a mirror reflection of the same thing. Over time, we achieve true freedom through that, so we can achieve. Uh, you know, the at the level of wealth. I mean, look at a, a Richard Branson or somebody, right? Uh, maybe maybe an Oprah Winfrey, but somebody who's done really well in the world and they've got all those trappings, but they still seem like, you know, pretty well-grounded, deeply rooted right. people, you know? Right. That's what comes in only in phase two. We can't do that in phase one because we're still so um, uh, trapped or what I call frame-locked by phase one beliefs. John, you're the sort of guy you want to have around a bonfire. You can keep going all night, and this is—we uh, could keep this going forever and ever because this is a subject: <laughs> the Democrats versus Republicans, the evolution of our psychology, how we're sort of wrenching ourselves forward and 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 pulling back and trying to go forward and then falling back. We could we could talk about this for for years, but uh, unfortunately, we we have to cut it short now. I want to talk for the the final bit about your new book coming up, The Voice Code, and how people can get a hold of it. Talk to me about the voice code. Sure. Well, and in, in, uh, you know, four years ago this week on uh, July 26, I I was studying these worldviews. You know, I launched that first book in 2008, collected a bunch of data, and I had the biggest lightning bolt uh, that ever cracked my head open hit me on a plane to Austin, and it's what I call the voice code. I didn't have a name for it yet, but I knew at that moment that I had literally cracked the code on the evolution of space and time mm-hmm. <laughs> from the subjective experience of us as individuals, and in a way, I found a Map. What I found was a map of the human mind that covers everything that happens uh, within the realm of perception, so from the birth to the highest levels. And now I spent four years trying to turn that into a relatable, fun, actionable book that anyone could use to thrive in this new inside-out world unfolding. Okay? Yeah. That wasn't easy. I had to become a, uh, a better, better man to get there. But I tell you what. Four years later, I've got that book. I've created a dragon-slaying journey where the dragons you slay are your own limiting phase one beliefs. And it's not about self-help, although that's great. It's really about, as I see it, helping people become the leader they were born to be uh, in this new economy. So that book, uh, we've had to go through many rounds uh, to try to get it ready mm-hmm. because it's really, cre- you know, it's like a red pill from the Matrix. It, mm-hmm. it really works. And for me, the challenge was not making sure it works. It was making sure I don't people don't go crazy right. and that it could be fun and simple and clean uh, for people because there's never been anything like this. Well, I'm happy to tell you that we've done that, and it's at the designer right now for the final tweak, and we hope to have that available in two, within two weeks. Uh, going to do a soft launch, uploading it to insiders, uh, because the insiders who read it are going to help me build the, build the movement um, before we do a major launch a couple months from now. We finally figured out that's the right way to do this. Uh, right. So if anybody listening feels kind of intrigued by the crazy that I talk and uh, if it feels true to you, then go to worldbethinking.com, please. Put your name on that mailing list, and uh, I'll send you – you'll be the first to, to be able to grab this when it comes available. It's going to be on Amazon and a bunch of different other places. So Worldview Thinking com is where you go to become one of the early people to get the voice code. And uh, John, fascinating. Again, as always, thank you so much for taking the time. 
Thank you, Mark. I really enjoy this, and I'm really enjoying this conversation. As you can hear, our Corona conversation has evolved. Yeah. So if anybody's listening and wondering what I'm talking about, you might go listen to some of the earlier stuff. You'll see we're laying a foundation for what I think promises to continue to be a really fascinating look at, at this world that we're moving into. So thank you for making that possible, Mark. Awesome, man. Have yourself a great day. You've been listening to Didn't See It Coming, the podcast about brands that learn from the past, are looking to the future, and are profiting because of it today. I'm your host, Mark Stoiber. If you want to get a hold of me, drop me an email at mark, M-A-R-C, at markstoiber.com, M-A-R-C-S-T-O-I-B-E-R.com. Have a good one.